So welcome to the first of our ESG series. I'm Emily Eyre, MD of Bruin Financial. Bruin Financial is an award-winning financial services specialist recruitment agency. We launched our ESG initiative in 2020 to help our financial services clients to increase their level of commitment to diversity and to decrease their carbon footprints. We are committed to encouraging a sustainable future within financial services whilst attracting top talent that will help to influence this. The person who is very much spearheaded these is one of our VPs, Georgina Sell. I'd like to personally thank Georgie for her incredible commitment to this. I'm now going to hand over to Georgina. Thanks very much, Emily. So I thought it would be helpful to kick off by summarising our survey results and highlighting some meaningful data around how ESG is impacting career motivations, job roles and organisational structures. We carried out a survey across our database of investment professionals and we've had roughly 120 responses. I'm delighted that we've had responses from pretty much every function within an investment management firm. Everything from C-suite investment leaders, portfolio managers to risk and finance specialists. We obviously do need to bear in mind that the sample itself, by virtue of the fact that these people have responded, does mean that these individuals are more likely to be interested in ESG and the level of commitment to the subject is clearly going to be higher. Nevertheless, I do think that some of the key themes that have come out are really, really interesting, and I hope you do too. So to kick off, we discovered that most people felt they already have a sound understanding of what ESG means, and they want to have an impact, but they often don't know how. Only 47% felt that they knew how to have a measurable impact across different ESG criteria. We hope that these podcasts will help to prove that you don't need to be an ESG expert to bring about change in this space. We also hope to give you some tips to help advance some of the most important aspects of ESG, both internally and externally. We also found from our survey that the majority of respondents said that if they were investing, ESG principles were important to them. This isn't particularly new to us, as sustainability funds have been outperforming in the markets for some time now. But what was more surprising was that an even larger majority of respondents said that it was important that their firm had a strong internal ESG strategy, i.e. this is not just important to them in terms of their client portfolios, but also internally within the culture of their firms as well. We also wanted to look in a little bit more detail at individual motivations for their career moves. We found that the majority of respondents felt that their company's approach to environmental and social factors influenced their opinion of them, which proves that there is a significant reputational risk for organizations in terms of retaining talent. We are being asked these questions more and more by our candidates. For example, can you tell me about their environmental policies, what their diversity criteria are. People are caring more about equality in the workplace and about not screwing up our planet. We also found that the majority of respondents felt that having a sense of purpose in their professional work was important to them. In fact, their sense of purpose was obviously so important that they would even be prepared to take a salary drop to work for an employer with a strong ESG strategy and they would be willing to move outside of financial services to a more sustainable industry. So we do need to be mindful of this if we want to protect the financial services industry and not lose out on the best talent. We also discovered that the majority of respondents felt that all aspects of the E, the S and the G were important to them, not just one. For those of you who are new to ESG, the E refers to environmental factors the S to social factors, and the G is the bread and butter, as you have to ensure good governance and regulation in your company in order to deliver good E and good S. This seems to prove the point that top leadership need to be focusing on all aspects of E, S and G, i.e. our responsibility to look after the planet, to look after the people who work for us, and the governance that we have in place to ensure this. We also wanted to look closer at employer priorities when thinking about ESG. Key things that came up from the survey were, in terms of the environmental factors, 
the majority felt that it was important for their company to have a formal commitment to the planet. This involves things like carbon offsetting, having clear policies around emissions and waste management, and analysing how sustainable your supply chain is. In terms of the social factors, the key things that stood out were that most people felt it was important to work in a diverse and inclusive workplace, and the majority felt that their companies should provide internal coaching or training to help address some of these inequalities. And in terms of the governance factors, most individuals would like to have a diverse board, and interestingly, almost the same amount of respondents felt that there should be some representation of ESG at board level. So just as a quick summary of our survey results, it is clear that the concern over areas such as diversity and climate change have moved from the sidelines into the mainstream. The focus has gone from how to limit exposure to products such as weapons, oil and gas and tobacco, to now managing the shift to a low carbon economy and pushing companies for better governance standards. And it is clear that a strong approach to ESG, both internally and externally, can help financial services firms to attract and retain talent and their clients. So I'm really looking forward to exploring and challenging some of this data with our panel speakers today. As the topic is the story behind talent and ESG, we wanted to give you a well-rounded view of some of the careers within this field. And we have a diverse range of speakers at varying levels of seniority and from different roles within ESG more broadly. So I'd like to welcome our panel and uh, also introduce them to you. And to kick off, uh, so Mylan No. So Mylan is currently head of ESG investment at Blue Bay, one of Europe's leading asset managers specializing in fixed income and alternative products. She's been working in the ESG investment field for the last two decades. Amongst many things, she's been a non-exec director at the UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association, and she was on the ESG Working Group for Principles for Responsible Investment. We also have Natalia Zeman. Natalia is an ESG Investment Associate at Capital Group, and I'm very interested to hear about her career experience as she studied something quite unrelated to ESG and sustainability. She actually graduated with a Bachelor of Arts and studied music, um, and she started with Capital Group on a grad rotation programme and has worked for them in a number of different countries. And we have Ben Deer. Ben is the CEO and founder of Osmosis Investment Management. Interestingly, he also came from a slightly different background. In fact, um, I think he was a fellow headhunter at some point in his career and um, also has worked for a tech firm before setting up Osmosis. Osmosis is a boutique firm with a team of 23 investment professionals who are at the forefront of integrating environmental data into portfolio construction. They partner with the CDP and Climate Action 100 in order to generate environmental improvements to their investment process. Lindsay Smart, she is an independent sustainability and impact consultant and has conducted ESG integration with a wide range of alternative managers and private equity houses. She's currently working for the Good Economy and Impact Advisory Firm and has worked for organizations such as Citibank as their head of communications and sustainability. And finally, Christina Curtin, Christina is Director of Education at CFA Society of the UK. I'm sure that most of you know the CFA very well. Uh, CFA Society UK is a professional membership body with over 12,000 members. And I'm delighted to say that we're partnering with them for the entirety of our ESG series, which we obviously hope you will join us for. And so to kick off, um, Mylin, I'd like to start by asking you a few questions, if that's, that's okay. Yep. Um, so firstly, was really interested to understand a little bit about your role at Blue Bay at the moment and um, how you got into ESG in the first place. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Georgina. It's great to be here. Gosh, how did I start? Um, I think this field, I started from a personal interest in sustainability, environmental, social sciences. So my academic studies were, was in this area and I went through that in terms of my university qualifications. I studied sustainability, looked at environmental management practices. Um, my master's was actually focused on this area. Um, as one of the placements um, for my master's, I was actually in the financial services um, looking to um, address ESG in this area and that's how I came across across it and with my peers. Um, I think very naively at the time, I wasn't even aware or had an understanding of financial services in, in terms of them sort of looking at these sort of issues. 
it was very much I thought with my qualification I'd end up working for a charity or a consultancy on sustainability my parents were very worried uh, on that sort of side um, and so it was a great eye-opener sort of hearing about the role at sort of a buy-side firm to work for their in-house ESG investment team managing dedicated funds so I really started out as an analyst started from the bottom applying my sort of I guess academic theoretical knowledge of sustainability and corporate responsibility to a very practical setting in terms of engaging with companies and talking about these issues um, on that side. So all of my professional working career has been on the buy side looking at ESG, either working for dedicated funds or then later on working as a shared resource as part of a stewardship function for an in-house team. The asset class focus was equities. Um, we were they were multi-asset managers but essentially the ESG focus um, quite understandably was on equities and less so on other asset classes and then about six years ago I, I came across to Blue Bay who are obviously a pure sort of fixed income house public debt and we did have private debt at the time investing in sovereigns and corporates across the spectrum globally so for me it was an opportunity to really apply my learning and thinking about what how you could actually um, integrate ESG into sort of investment practices um, very much on that side and my role has really evolved from more of a research analytical role which is very internally um, focused desk-based research as well as engaging with companies to more of a, a commercial rounded role so I engage with our, our clients I, I do RFPs and, and that sort of thing I, I participate in external events um, so it's more strategy as well so it's a real variety um, and I think that's actually one of the things that you have to like working into this field you have to be adaptable and like variety. Great. Well, that leads uh, me on to my next question. Um, and obviously, with such a diverse range of experience, I'm, I'm quite interested to hear what you think has made you progress in your career to date. Gosh, uh, I don't think I've actually been very strategic in my, um, in my career. And I think one of the things that I've, I think this probably in terms of what I've always done in my career is that I've always focused on actually a role where I felt I've continued to learn and have opportunities to learn and then worked with people who were very supportive and encouraging and sort of mentored me and sort of gave me the space to think and I could learn from so I think that's always been very important for me um, in, instead of thinking strategically is it time to move to the next role uh, and that sort of thing um, on that side because I think it's really important to build your confidence um, obviously I think if you're looking to get into this field the technical and knowledge and skills are important in terms of subject matter um, and having an interdisciplinary approach I think is really important because sustainability is all about the interconnectedness of uh, the economy the environment social issues and that sort of thing coming into perspective on there but I think what I've learned um, in the time I've been in the industry is that the technical skills only get you so far the hard skills get you so far but what will really sort of get you over the line or, or really sort of take you further um, and try and be more efficient and effective is actually the soft skills which people don't necessarily tell you about what I always say when you're working for an ESG role particularly on the buy side I think when you're implementing and certainly on the asset owners I think is that you're essentially an agent for change you've been parachuted in you've been told that you you have this um, objective of trying to incorporate get the firm to incorporate ESG you've got very entrenched views about how things work the financial markets work what sort of factors are important um, and you're actually then um, brought in to try and get these people to change their minds uh, um, and, and that there's another way of looking at the world and another way to think long term and look at risk and look at opportunities so so I think the soft skills are really important in terms of you essentially um, being able to have good negotiation skills being good people skills out absolutely because you're going to have to interact with people with very different mindsets and different perspectives but you've got to try and find some common linkages and bring people together um, to collaborate. I think you also need to be a very good communicator as well. Um, I think because you're dealing with people at so many different levels of the organization internally and externally, you also need to be able to um, be quite flexible and adaptable in terms of how you interact with um, different people um, on, on that side to get those different viewpoints um, on that side. And also, I guess, actually something I would say as well is that you have to have a lot of emotional resilience um, and um, 
patience because it's not an easy thing to do because you are this agent of change um, in that sometimes you might be quite impatient you sort of think why is this taking so long and so sometimes you, you sort of need to be able to sort of step back a bit and, and get a bit of perspective um, and on that side and I think the last thing I would say is that as well is that I've learned is that not to think that I'm in this alone it may feel like it, it may feel very lonely at times um, because there's not necessarily lots of people in the firm doing the things that I'm doing but I've learned to leverage of my external networks whether they're professional or personal but I found the ESG field to be particularly what's the word I think the field financial services can be quite competitive and you hear a lot of people talk about it but the ESG people I've met over the years it's like we're the exception to the rule we actually talk a lot with each other we collaborate we sort of share frustrations and sort of share ideas about how we've approached things so I think leveraging of your network is really helpful it right. keeps you sane. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned, I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, you at one point were sort of looking down the route of an NGO or, or charity. I mean, for, for people that are maybe coming from that um, background, what would you say some of the key challenges are and, and how would you sort of advise them to, to kind of overcome them um, and to be able mm. to succeed in this field? I think that's actually a very good point, Regina, to point out is that I would say that the um, ESG field relative to other areas of financial services is, is very different in that it's the most inclusive part of you trying to get into this part of the sort of market in that it's it's very accepting of people from different backgrounds and different sort of sort of levels of careers as well whether you're early entry or whether you're mid-level looking for a career change and it really comes down to this point I mentioned earlier in terms of you're bought in um, for your technical knowledge but also your ability to be sort of a helicopter view and make all of these linkages and have these interdisciplinary approaches is that ESG and sustainability is so wide-ranging there's no way you can be an expert in all of these areas so it's actually um, very welcoming of people with different perspectives to come in if you've got a more of a social sort of sciences background or more of a sort of economics or something like that it's really important because it's all about trying to bring together people with different perspectives to see if we can identify some common solutions some creative ways to to break out of this cycle that we've got in terms of looking at the world and viewing what's valuable and what's not and thinking about different time horizons so what I'd encourage people from different backgrounds is don't be discouraged um, I've, I've noticed over the years as people have talked to me is how proactive active people have is that maybe you haven't got the academic background and you haven't got the professional but then in their own time they've been proactive in terms of what they've been able to do and demonstrate and I think one of the things when you talk to recruiters as well um, or if I'm recruiting that you want to get across from people is that passion you genuinely want to do something when, because that will help sustain you through what I mentioned earlier the need to have emotional resilience and, and have patience because you don't do this because it's an easy thing to do and you have to do it because I think it's interesting your point um, from your survey about purpose is that there's no longer this concept of a job for life or that you do it and it's a job and people want to proactively link their personal values with their professional roles it's not about parking that the off that the front door when you walk in so so I think demonstrating your passion being proactive to show whether you are through reading taking proactive courses attending webinars webinars and things to show that you really have got a good understanding of the market because depending on the role that you're going for some teams can be very big that they will be um, very forgiving or have the ability to afford time to grow, to let you grow into a role obviously if you're applying for a role where it's one person it's the ESG expert that's potentially not going to work because they'll expect you to have all of those tools in your toolkit so I think the the fit between the role that you're applying for what you have and then the the, the you know the organizational culture will be very important and spend a bit of time doing that. Thanks Mylan, some really um, helpful tips there and um, Natalia I'm really interested to hear a little bit about your role at Capital Group at the moment and um, obviously the fact that you studied music I think a lot of people will be interested to hear about um, how you actually came upon the role at Capital Group in the first place. Yeah absolutely so I think my comments hopefully will follow on quite nicely from from Mylan's um, in terms of you know, having not had either a financial background or an ESG background when I came across capital. 
uh, five years ago. I'd been at Capital five years, so I, I was a musician. I'd studied music. I'd been at a music school. I'd always known musicians. Um, and I'd started a small performing arts company, and the intention of the company was to try to bring classical music to a very different kind of audience and bring it in a different kind of way, because I felt that classical music was quite stuck in a certain way of doing things. Um, and I, a couple of years in, got offered this role at, at Capital, which was very unusual for an organization of its size, because Capital, in order to try to encourage diversity within the organization, has a small training program where they bring in graduates, early career uh, individuals who do not have a background in finance. And the idea is to bring in this different kind of mindset. And interestingly, a lot of people who do this program actually stay for a long time at the company. The retention is, is quite impressive. So I did this program, which was two years long, where they taught me, you know, what a mutual fund was and, and everything I needed to, to know um, in terms of the basics of, of this finance job. And I did a, a different role every four months within the organization. And it's quite tailored to the individual. So after the first year, you get rotations which are more uh, appropriate for your interests. And I had done quite a bit of anthropology at university, psychology. I was interested in in politics and the kind of intersection between finance, but, but political research um, and more kind of macro themes. And so I did some work with our political economy group actually over the, the European elections in 2017, I guess. Um, and that was fascinating. And then following that, I did a rotation um, with our one of our investment groups. And it wasn't called ESG. We were, we were looking for companies that were solving societal problems in a way that was strategically meaningful to the business. And so, so that was with one of our investment groups. And shortly after that, we hired our first named ESG uh, person at Capital who'd actually been an investor for years. And, and from the very beginning, our ESG process has been very, very much tied to our long-term investment process that is already in place and, and choosing companies that have a sustainable long-term strategy. So I joined forces with her and, and kind of did all sorts of different things at the at the beginning, I'm supporting her in, 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 you know, talking to companies, engaging with companies, working on client-facing materials, understanding what clients were, were looking for across different geographical regions, responding to RFPs, DDQs, so a whole range of, of things. And then more recently, I have focused much more on the client side. So we, have, we now have a much bigger team. We're a team of 13 up from two and about half the team is very focused on building out ESG within our investment group, uh, bringing in all the data that we need to, to enable us to do that analysis on the environmental, social and governance factors around companies and then my role is very much focused on on uh, communicating all of that work that we're doing internally to the external world right so I hope that helps Georgina yes answering no, that, your question. that's that's very helpful and I guess I mean you could have obviously gone down a, a very very different career path and for you now being in a sustainability role I mean do you think that it is important to have a sense of purpose in, in your work life day to day, to day? Absolutely. I think, I mean, for me, uh, purpose is, is crucial. So I think coming, again, coming from a, a very different kind of background, music, where the only reason you do music is because you love it. <laughs> There's no money in that industry whatsoever. Um, and then coming across to, to finance a very different type of sector. Um, I think one of the things that really attracted me to the ESG space was the the intellectual component it's you know as Mylen mentioned it it encompasses a number of different uh, skill sets and of course you know environmental social governance considerations I mean what does that mean it's enormous it's absolutely ginormous so so understanding the, the complexity of those issues and and how the private sector and finance and capital allocation can help to be part of the solution to some of those huge issues is is incredibly interesting from an intellectual perspective and I think the underlying purpose that you're trying to make a difference and actually as Mylin said as well you know change people's mindsets get people to really think and be critical um, and maybe think about things differently to how they would have done in the past is very exciting so that's a big a big reason for, for why I stay doing what I'm doing. 
And are there any other kind of key skill sets that you think are required to be sort of successful in ESG? I think I second everything Mylan said. So I think my number one skill that I, I think is really important is curiosity. I think if you have curiosity, then you have the capacity to to learn. And and I know, you know, Mylan mentioned that, you know, some roles require a lot of, you know, more in-depth understanding of a certain uh, specific part of ESG. And that's absolutely true. But I also think it's such an evolving area at least in, in the, within the financial services space but also just in understanding a lot of these issues and, and how to measure them um, I think curiosity is extremely important um, I think there is room for every different type of personality within the ESG space I mean certainly within my team I, I mentioned we started as two people now we're 13 and we have you know very detail oriented people we have very junior people who who have that curiosity and are, and, and are learning extremely fast we have very very experienced hires uh people who have a lot of experience on the governance side specifically for example so that demands a, a specific skill set um those who have a, a broader skill i totally agree with mylen in terms of the soft skills being very important as well as those those hard skills um, and and well-defined specific skills within the, the specific areas. I think also the the ability to link the ESG um, specific understanding with some financial experience is, is clearly very important and quite a unique skill set also. Um, so yeah, I think there's room for everyone and we want people with different personalities and different skill sets to, to make a team as, as effective as possible. Great, thanks Natalia. And Ben, having come from a tech background and, and obviously having run a recruitment firm at um, some point in your career, what was it that made you interested in this space and, and ultimately want to set up a business in it? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I don't have a, I guess, a normal career to have ended up where I am today. Uh, I'm basically unemployable, um, which is why I set up my own firm to begin with because no one would give me a job. But uh, my journey to asset management uh, really came about uh, from selling a tech firm that I helped build. And, uh, and once receiving the funds from that, coming home and debating what to do next. I was quite young then. Uh, I wish I was still that young, to be honest. But uh, I think I was 32, 33. And uh, looking around and thinking, seeking opportunities, maybe become a professional kite surfer, or at least buy a bar, buy a beach, buy the kite surfing school. And, uh, and I put a movie on and watched it. And uh, looking back on that, it's either the best thing I ever watched or the worst thing I ever watched. I, I debate that quite a lot to myself a lot of the time. Uh, but it was Al Gore's movie, The Inconvenient Truth. And I just had two young children, uh, not at the same time, um, but uh, I, I had them both on my knees and uh, watched this movie. And I thought, well, I've been very good at making money. Uh, there's gotta be more to life than just making money. So I thought the first thing I should do is go and deploy the money that I've made in a socially conscious way, but with a focus on the environment. So I went up to the city. I met lots of fund managers. There weren't many there doing, uh, doing these roles then, um, five or six. And, uh, and they, were, they were all fascinating individuals, but they all had one thing in common, which is they applied a set of values to their portfolios where they consistently lost you money year in, year out. And uh, I wasn't that comfortable giving my money to someone in the city to lose uh, in order that I would have to go back to starting another business at some point in the future to make it back. Uh, and I was just fascinated by the environment. I, I read something called the Stern Report, which, uh, which is a very long document, which is really about the economics behind climate change. Uh, and everyone was talking about the risk and the fear. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, I, all I could see was the opportunity. Uh, so I picked up the phone, uh, I called some people that I knew, raised some money. Uh, I knew lots of people that ran portfolios, hedge fund managers. I didn't consider them any more intelligent than me, probably better at math. Um, and I thought, how hard can this be? Uh, it can't be that difficult. And, and 12 years later, I can tell you, uh, the first bit of advice I can give you today is don't start an asset management business with no experience. Um, but that led us to start Osmosis. And uh, and we've been on a 12-year journey where we've gone from running just a bit of my money uh, to bringing on board some external capital, to running money for the Oxford University Endowment, uh, to running money for the Swedish government, 
uh, and then broadening our client base now pretty much globally. We haven't moved into Asia yet, but we've just focused on the EVSG. We believe you can deploy capital in a large way with huge capacity and have two levels of impact. So one is a targeting a better risk-adjusted return, in this, and secondly is reducing your environmental ownership of uh, not just carbon, but we also look at uh, water and waste. Right, thank you, Ben. And I'm interested from an employer's perspective, what do you tend to look for when you hire into your firm? Not people like me. <laughs> uh, you know, my other businesses, we hired a lot of the same kind of people. It wasn't particularly diverse. Um, it was quite sales orientated. Um, once we had the technology and the technology firm, it was about just driving sales. Uh, this is very different. I, I wouldn't be where I am without the team that I've built around me over the last 12 years. Uh, they're very, the education is a given. You know, they, they tend to be... Uh, certainly within the trading, uh, the portfolio construction, the research side, they're, they're very numeric. Uh, but, but just to corroborate what the other panelists have said so far, um, there's always been something slightly different about them, actually. They've done something slightly different in terms of their interests. Uh, they've, uh, they've got an ability to communicate something very complex in a very simple way, which works really well for me because I'm a simple guy in the office and I need to understand what they're doing. Um, and they have a passion and a belief. And it was interesting in your survey at the beginning that 77% you know, of your respondents said that they would take a salary cut or a reduced salary to work within a firm who were focused on ESG. Uh, and we see that actually from the approaches that we get. But, but we also can say that once they're in and they're experienced, the market is growing really quickly. So that salary cut, just to get your foot in the door, uh, will be amply rewarded in the future. Uh, as these skill sets and those kind of skills uh, aggregated together are not that common and they are in much in demand. And I think you're probably seeing this as an organization yourself now. So, so we're seeing, you know, salary rises obviously within the firm, but competitors looking at our staff, uh, unfortunately and quite annoyingly, more frequently than I would actually like. But uh, I guess that's a sign we're doing something right. So just a passion for business, good communication skills, a good education, uh, and not just your traditional uh, A-star, Oxford graduates who believes that there's a right to work in the city in a particular kind of job. Uh, the arrogance with that kind of background doesn't lend itself to, to, to our culture. But, but as, as Mylene was saying earlier, uh, you've got to win hearts and minds in this business as well. So it's a slow burn in changing other organizations' approaches to this. Uh, and you need those kind of softer skills. It's, it's really important. And a lot of patience, I imagine, as well. <laughs> um, yeah, 12 years. I'm hoping there's an exponential rise because uh, I don't want to be just doing this for my children. <laughs> Definitely, I want to get something out of it at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to ask you a little bit of a, a tough question now, Ben. But, um, but would you say that ESG is fully integrated into your firm? I guess if you're thinking you know, both internally and externally, or is there more that you could be doing? Well, there's always more. There's lots of challenges for small firms. I think if you're a large scale organization, and I won't mention names, uh, but they've, there's recently been an aggregation of these firms who have come together to promote uh, ethnic diversity within portfolio management. And it's got a lot of press and it's to be commended, but their solution, 100 interns across their you know, I think the nine or 12 firms. And I just looked at that and I thought that's appalling. You know, we're hiring five interns in the next couple of weeks and we're a 20 man firm because we want to give people exposure to the business. So there's a lot more that could be done at the, at the bigger firms. And we're doing what we can as a smaller firm. But when you look at our, the, the diversity makeup our firm is pretty good. Um, you know, you look across the website and I think it reflects our client base quite well. Um, but we are, we're not positively discriminating to, to get more uh, females into the business, um, for example, but we really welcome those applications. And there's been a massive switch. When we advertised for interns last year, I think we had about 130 applicants and six of them were female. And this year, we've literally just killed the LinkedIn adverts this morning 
uh, and this is a sad reflection obviously on the industry and how hard people are finding it to find employment. We've had 900 applications for two roles. Um, and, uh, but I would say probably 35% of those are females. So that's a massive difference. And, and I've been speaking to my team this morning and saying, when we go through collecting the CVs, or you're doing it now, I don't need to do that anymore. But when you're doing it, uh, come to me with the 10 best in each category, you know, from, from a male and female perspective. Uh, let's go through and let's choose the top one in each. So it doesn't, we're not, we will choose great people, but we will be an equal opportunity employer on that basis. And, and I just think those little things eventually, you know, it's hard for us to hire at a very senior level with one of the new portfolio manager, you know, because there just aren't many around, unfortunately, who are female. Um, and they cost a lot of money. Um, and if that's a result of uh, the industry not looking after these issues for the last 10 or 15 years. So the work we do now, we'll see a massive transformation, I think, from us at Osmosis, but also in the broader industry. Um, so as a firm, we've done our best. We look pretty good, but we always aim to try and do better. Great. Thanks, Ben. And Lindsay, I'm quite keen to hear from you, because obviously you work from an advisory firm, The Good Economy, and have a wealth of experience advising firms around their ESG strategies in particular. Um, so what advice can you give to firms who are looking to fully integrate ESG? Yeah, thanks, Georgie. Thanks. It's, um, it's, I've just been completely absorbed in, in the other panellists and what's been said and I agree with everything that I've heard and I can also see it uh, reflected in a lot of my own experiences. Um, certainly when it comes to culture and you know changing people's um culture and and uh, a sort of creating a strategy for change you know that's it is very complex and uh, it's not an easy challenge um and there isn't a single solution for for one you know for, for each you know, can't apply the same thing for, for every different company but i would say that there are four elements which i've typically seen in successful strategies um, and they are, you know, you need a, um, a positive authority figure. You need community, a community willpower. You need opportunity and incentive. So if I just kind of very, very quickly drill into each of those four elements. So positive authority figure, um, you know, change really needs to come from the top. So you really want to see your C-suite and your CEO championing the topic and really talking about it positively and giving a, a message that it is supported and will continue to be supported and efforts around change will be supported people don't want to feel like they're going to, to try and do something which is um, going to is not not there for the long term um, community willpower is is really about engaging the teams and working in partnership with teams so people need to feel that they are involved so although a message from the top is really important you also don't want it to be a dictatorship it needs to be a collaboration so you need everybody within the company to really feel like they are involved in this um this this quest for change um and really you know that change comes about and, and identifying the right change comes about by doing quite a bit of groundwork in terms of a company you know needs to take an honest look at who they are what they are what they're trying to be in the industry in order to develop their authentic approach to esg um and again as i said you know because that because every company needs to identify their own path around this and and that involves listening to your uh, you know to the, the people within your company um and and really sort of building that together um how to move forward and, and create this change and then the third in terms of opportunity. So, you know, once you've identified this authentic approach and, and you know what you want to achieve, you've got to give people the opportunity to create change. And people are busy, you know, the teams are busy. Everyone in this industry is busy. Um, now that's, an, that's a valid pushback for a lot of people. It also is a really convenient excuse for those who don't necessarily want to change. And, you know, not everyone is gonna embrace it to the same level. So you need to give people support and resources and reassurance that it's achievable that's what be you know what is being asked is achievable and also training training is really important um, in order to help people understand that 
that it's really valuable and important um, and that it, it has a genuine role to play within investment decision making. You know, that, that if you understand um, ESG to a really uh, detailed level, that it, it plays a, a very valid role in investment decision making. And that's that, you know, that comes from training. And so, um, you know, just helping more people within the business understand that is really important. And that really then enables and develops change making, which, uh, you know, something Mylin mentioned, you know, change makers are really important within a business across at all levels of the business and not just senior, but, um, you know, throughout the spectrum of responsibilities and also throughout the different teams. So really kind of helping your change makers come to the fore and supporting them in this journey as well. And that sort of leads to the fourth point, which you could say is ultimately the most important, but that's incentivization. And, you know, recognition and reward are important. They are especially important in this industry. And I think having an honest reflection on that um, is, is important and if you want people to really integrate ESG into their everyday activities it has to be part of their pay it has to be something that they are remunerated for and that they are given direct roles and, and responsibilities around and finally just to say um, that also that we should be bold in hiring you know so when you are hiring um, don't be afraid to mention that these things are important to you as a business because that will help in terms of that um, long-term cultural shift because you'll be hiring people who are already aligned and who've already expressed an interest and a desire to be involved with a company who has that kind of culture so you don't have to continually go through this process of change it, it will become embedded in who you are right Thanks, Lindsay. And what would you say are some of the biggest challenges of shifting to an ESG culture? Uh, so some of the things that you have experienced in the past that, that work and, and maybe that, that hasn't worked. Yeah, so I think, that, you know, the big challenge is to really kind of get people on board in terms of believing that, firstly, that it's achievable. So I think it's important not to make people feel like this is something that you're going to ask them to start doing on Monday. You know, they have to feel that there is... Um, space for this to evolve and for that there are stages of progress that you don't just immediately um, become an ESG integrating company because you've hired a single person to implement this you know that it's a that it is something that takes time to to get really good at and that it's okay to express that and to be honest about that both internally and externally um, so I think that, that you know that's one of the important things I think um, also one of the things that doesn't work is to ask a single individual to take responsibility for this across the entire firm so it you know there does have to be an understanding that it it's it's a big role it's complex it's you know it's, it's as you know as the other panelists have talked about you know you're, you are trying to change hearts and minds in a lot of businesses obviously in Ben's business it's it's was there embedded from the beginning a lot of companies that's not the case they're trying to retrofit and that means you know that you need a lot of buy-in from across the business for it to for it to really work over the long term and to and to really shift the way that teams operate on a day-to-day -day basis great thank you lots of uh, food for thought there um, and finally, to um, hand over to Christina, I think she's going to tell us a little bit about the ESG certificate and the benefits of it. If you are considering a career in ESG, hopefully you'll find this um, very helpful. So Christina, do you mind uh, sharing slides your side? Thank you, Georgie. So good afternoon. My name's um, Christina Curtin. I'm Director of Education at CFA UK. And Georgie's very kindly asked me here today uh, to talk to you very very briefly about our certificate in ESG um, investing. So um, firstly I thought I'd give you a little bit of information about us uh, in case you've not heard of CFA UK. So we are a professional membership body with over 12,000 members um, and we're also part of the worldwide network of member societies of CFA Institute. Um, and our mission, um, as one would expect for a professional body, it's really to build um, a better investment profession by educating investment professionals, promoting ethical and professional standards, and by explaining what's happening in the profession to regulators, policymakers, um, and the media. 
Um, that's particularly relevant in terms of the work I think that we've done on our certificate in ESG investing. Um, it's been fascinating listening to all the other panelists today about their experience of, you know, at the coalface in terms of integrating um, ESG factors in day-to-day -day kind of roles in investment management. And certainly when we started considering whether there was a need for a qualification in this space back in February 2018, what we were being told by our members and by stakeholder firms was that there was indeed a growing expectation by both asset owners and clients that ESG um, integration was certainly expected in the investment decision-making process. But when we looked around at the market and what was available, there wasn't really one particular qualification that was specifically designed for investment professionals. There was you know, a huge amount of information out there, but there wasn't an easy starting point and a framework that provided kind of foundational knowledge in a coherent logical way so that's exactly that's exactly what we we hope we've developed we worked with um specialist practitioners in this space the qualification is developed specifically for investment practitioners and and it will help give uh, you if you're if you're thinking of going into this space the tools really to start um beginning to understand how to integrate esg factors into the investment decision making process and build out your own kind of esg strategies within your firm um, it's predominantly targeted at portfolio managers fund managers analysts um, and you'll see the other roles there, but we do have in our candidate cohorts a much broader range of, of job, job roles, actually. We have um, candidates who work in compliance, risk, uh, um, consultants, uh, you know, across the board. Um, so it was interesting what you were saying about the ESG marketing uh, role that you're promoting uh, recently, because we're seeing the bottom-up kind of need for education as well as the top-down. Um, the benefits of studying for this qualification, well, it is, um, it is a complex area. Uh, as panellists have noted, you won't get anybody who knows everything about ESG. You, you will tend to specialise, uh, you will tend to have specialists in different areas. So it is very complex. The terminology itself can be confusing um, and interchangeably used perhaps incorrectly. Um, so what this qualification sets out to do is to provide you with an understanding of that. Um, it would explain current ESG themes and best practice. It's updated on a yearly basis, so it will remain solidly up to date. Um, it looks at you know, the, the financial services sector um, and you know, more traditional uh, approaches and challenges some of those approaches. And it will, help, it will certainly help give you the threshold competence and understanding key principles and characteristics um, and it would also help you obviously in better engage with investors peers and stakeholders on ESG issues so I'm going to stop there there is some further information in this presentation on the detail around the syllabus um, but we can provide that to you afterwards so back to Georgie Great, thank you so much, Christina. And I'm sure many of you will be inspired to uh, learn a bit more about ESG through the ESG certificate. Um, for those of you who are young professionals or students that may be listening to this, um, you may also want to have a look into uh, the Network for Sustainable Financial Markets, um, Upreach, Migrant Leaders, and Social Mobility Foundation. These are all really good um, organizations that we partner with. Um, and Emily, um, finally, I'm going to hand over to you for the um, Q&A section with the audience. Thanks, Georgie. Um, so we've had a, a number of questions coming through, but do keep sending those through. I think probably the first one to start off with that's appropriate for you, Lindsay, is could you talk a little bit more about about the training that should be provided in order to fully integrate ESG. Obviously, um, that's brilliant to hear from Christina on the certificate in ESG investing, so obviously that's a start, but anything extra from a training perspective that you can recommend? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm working on a project right now around this, um, and the ESG certificate is brilliant. Um, and I, I definitely big thumbs up um, for that. I think one of the, it is a challenge um, in, in terms of within the industry sort of formalised training, it, it is quite difficult, which is why the CFA piece is really good. Um, what we tend to 
find we need to do is actually very tailored training that's very specific to the needs of the actual team. So, you know, um, different investment teams are investing in different asset classes uh, in different ways and with, with um, you know, different client requirements. And so um, what we find is that the best solution is to actually work with the team to understand exactly how they operate and then we establish how do you implement an ESG approach that is relevant and proportionate and material to that particular type of investment. Um, so what we tend to find is that you, you want to try and find good um, industry education programs that help bring everyone's understanding up to a certain level. And that's where things like the ESG certificate uh, CFA's ESG certificate is great. Also, a lot of the PR, the you know, PRI offers lots of resources and education level, uh, educational pieces. Um, depending on which area of the market you're in, I do a lot in the private space. Um, you know, the BVCA offers certain training courses around um, responsible investing. So they help really get people up to a, a base level. So you're you're kind of all talking the same language. But then we find that um, to really kind of take the next level of embedding ESG. You have to work with teams specifically to establish exactly what program of, of change they, they need. Thank you. That's pretty helpful. Emily, can I um, just come in on yes, that, actually? Because as somebody who obviously I've got um, on the buy side, we're trying to train our investment teams and I'd echo uh, so what Lindsay said is actually the 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 formal sort of more academic -y sort of professional education gets you some of the way there to get the foundation. But what we've done at Blue Bay is very much I, I talk about on the job training because mm -hmm. um, there's nothing like the I think this comes back to the point about alignment of when the individuals are receptive to the ESG um, sort of things. And sometimes they're never more receptive when then there's got a situation that's blown up or something's happened and they're reactive and they're asked lots of questions and they don't know what to do. So, so we, we, we balance, we've only more recently sort of, sort of outlined formal sort of academic qualifications like the CFA. We very much focused on sort of un exactly what Lindsay said, understanding their role. Are they sector analysts? Can we point out what ESG issues are relevant for the sector? How does it play out? What does the universe look like initiatives? But we, we definitely think on the job training and uh, very live situations, encouraging them to interact with us is the best way to sort of get them engaged um, on, on that sort of side. I think that's really, really important. And I think you've also mentioned, Lindsay, the point that, you know, beyond the CFA, the PRI have got an academic sort of course as well that they run um, in this area. But we, we would definitely be off the view that to get people engaged is really sort of engage with them on their specific companies that they're looking at, their portfolios and helping them understand. Thank you, Imaidan. Um, I suppose this is actually um, a question to Imaidan and Natalia, um, and possibly Ben as well. So um, I'm trying to amalgamate a couple of different questions here, but how do you recommend to get a first uh, position in ESG but also if someone is transitioning from, and they've got experience in one case, someone has mentioned that they're a funds lawyer, um, how would they transition into ESG and stand out in amongst a number of people who are applying to ESG roles at the moment? Gosh, I can start in that I think people think of ESG, but you've got to think of it as it's a value chain. There's lots of different components that you've got the asset management side, you've got the asset owner side, you've got the consultants, you've got the data providers. And I think in some ways, sometimes actually where you start in terms of where you are in your career, there are certain areas that are more easier to get started in. So I find a lot of people who are entry level have studied the area, want to get in the data provider side or the proxy voting side is a really good space because you get to focus on one sector you you become responsible for it you understand the issue so you build up your technical knowledge of the issues on that sort of side um, so that's then and it, you, it lends you more into then you go into more of a research analytical role um, mm -hmm. on there and I think to um, 
the point made earlier actually about the broadening of roles within ESG is that initially it was very sort of just research and engagement analytical focus but what you're seeing is now that um, houses are recognizing that they actually need to have a, a, a broad range of different functions that have ESG knowledge and specialism like the sales mm -hmm. function or compliance function so now there are recruitments in broader areas in terms of bringing this in and you could be a portfolio manager who maybe actually you've always just been a conventional portfolio manager and now you're managing a fund which mm -hmm. is the sustainability fund and you're looking at these areas um, on that sort of side as well so I'd say be sort of have a look at the the field in terms of the ecosystem and identify how each of the players interact with each other and what their role is and think about for that particular role what are the key um, sort of focus um, roles and responsibilities and how does that match with what you you have and your interest. Uh, one thing I guess I'd say before I I'd sort of stop there is that I've made it a point earlier is that but I think it's so important these roles they're so few and far between but actually that you don't rush to a role you really understand what they're recruiting for the organization and the fit and a good example I'd use to illustrate that is that over the time I've been in the industry I've come across so many people some of them are extremely passionate competent but they if they choose the wrong organization that doesn't have to fit with what how they think about ESG how they want to implement it this might come back to Ben's point actually about your motivation are you more pragmatic are you more look you're willing to you, you're looking at ESG and it's about integration or are you really quite activist and passionate and you're better off in a house that does sustainability thematic investing because mm -hmm. if you get that fit wrong it could actually be very detrimental to you personally because you get hugely frustrated and you don't understand why it's not working but if you get the right fit with the right firm that gives you the right mandate it all clicks so I've seen individuals who have had moved around and they've left some places and you think what happened there they were smart and you know and then you look at it and it's the fit so it's really I know there's a rush to get into this space but sometimes you really need to understand what that firm has got for that scope what it what is its culture and then what is it that you can bring to it and what is it is your life approach to ESG what you can work with because otherwise you've become hugely frustrated and the firm gets frustrated and nobody's happy yeah and I think just uh, I think you said that did you say they were a funds lawyer yes oh well I think that it's it's happy days it's uh it's, it's jam all day and gravy tomorrow because uh regulation impacting our industry uh, mm -hmm. notwithstanding the level of complexity with Brexit. Uh, not that I should be giving career advice, but uh, um, if you just want to go in and look up the EU taxonomy and then search up uh, Article 9 and then look at the hundreds, if not thousands, of investment funds that have all labelled themselves as sustainable over the last five years as they've gone on this march to capture assets, um, there's the job that's the access point because each and every one of those funds is going to have to prove that what they say on the lid is actually in the tin and as a lawyer uh, one would assume a qualified lawyer you already have some of the qualifications to make that first step and, and it's it's impacting us as a firm and i'm actually speaking to our lawyers actually this week regarding article nine and i'm not the first of the fund management groups to be reaching out to say, how do you get compliant? Are we compliant? Is it self-regulated compliance? And this is just going to evolve further and further over time. So if you're looking for a quick access point to get your toe on the ground, then I would suggest uh, making some inquiries through the law firms through their sustainable investment practices. Thanks, Ben. Charlie, I'm just interested to hear your view on the question as well. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, incredibly comprehensive answers. And, and I, I agree with everything that, that was said by the other two panellists. I guess I'd add that for maybe this is, is slightly, I, I'm, I totally agree with what Mylin, what, what you suggest uh, for sure in terms of fit. But I also think for, for early career, don't be too fixated on an idea of exactly what you want to do because I think the, the the ESG space is changing so much at the moment that you might be surprised if you take a role that is less than perfect in your view and you um, kind of put your own footprint on it and, and are a bit entrepreneurial and maybe you know find areas that you're interested in and do some of that research um, yourself and 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 write things uh, and help to, to kind of build that 
information uh, which is so needed right now and knowledge base I think if you if you do that it may lead you places that you never expected that certainly happened to me when when I started my role we ESG was not a term that we even used and that developed quite quickly and in quite unexpected ways and and so I think there's a lot of potential for that if you if you're a kind of creative about how you how you take on a role. Thank you. I think, Georgie, that's probably our time um, for any more questions. So shall I hand back to you? Yes, great. Thanks, Emily. Um, so, I mean, as we've heard today, it's clear that the financial services industry does need lots of different types of talent within the field of ESG. Individuals with different qualifications, experience and perspectives in order to continue to add value to our society and the economy. Firms such as Osmosis, who um, do have sustainability at their core, might find it easier to attract talent in some respects. However, there is still a lot that other firms can do. Can invest in training around diversity and inclusion, carbon offsetting, looking at compensation policies that reward management on ESG criteria. It's clear that true ESG integration will need to come from the top. You can do this by promoting heads of ESG or even uh, DNI um, individuals into board level and leadership positions so that they have more decision-making power. Um, you might also consider engaging an advisory team such as the Good Economy for a period of time and the rest should come from every single part of your business. Um, so we've discovered it's not just about doing it for your clients and your investors, it's really for every single person um, to have a role to play in embedding good GS ESG. And this is what will help us to get to where we want to be in the next decade. Special thanks to our panel speakers today and to everyone that attended. Thank you very much.